0: Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 47. My name is Arvind. Joining me as always my colleague from PensionPanpuppets.com. It's Acting the Fuleman.
1: Hi, everybody.
0: So, um, the NHL is in its All-Star break. There isn't a ton to discuss particularly related to the Leafs, uh, but we'll, we'll get into some Leafs content. Uh, first, we're going to discuss the NHL All-Star game and how, you know, riveting and engrossing it is. Uh, you didn't watch, did you?
1: No, we did not.
0: Me neither. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't watch <laughs> yeah, either. I mean,
1: I I don't know what to say. Look, the All Star Game is just not my cup of tea. I want to yeah. be clear though; it's something for some people. A lot of kids apparently like it, and that's cool. That's a legitimate thing. When I'm I was not a kid, saying...
0: I loved All Star Games.
1: It's a cool concept when you're a kid. It's like you know the Justice League or something, or like the Avengers. You know, all of the the best players and or. A necessary representative from each (laughs) franchise. Although I'd like to note, I don't think the Habs ended up having
0: anybody. Yeah, because Price Uh, ended up not going, right?
1: Yeah, which, you know what? If the All-Star is going to just, like, casually insult the Habs, then it is a legitimate competition, and I think they should do more of it.
0: Yeah. Who who uh, was the most—who was, like, the worst All-Star this year? uh,
1: You know what? I don't want to say Keith Yandel, because I feel like there has to be someone worse— but like there's no way he should have been in, in there over Morgan Riley.
0: Yeah. like
1: I think uh, he's the one that stands out to me probably because I'm biased and I think Mo should have been there. Mm-hmm. but you know I say I don't care, but I care exactly insofar as it burnishes the league status clearly.
0: <laughs> yeah. but there's no like there's no Leo Komarov this year. Mm. right as far as I, don't I think so. as far as I know.
1: Yeah, like the truth is is that even the the teams that are like really bad right now or are tanking, have a couple good players on them. Yeah,
0: like like you Ottawa know, again, has two legit all-stars. Like if you were making yeah. a full, like Chabot and Stone would should be on an all-star team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think that's right. And, you know, the, the Coyotes have uh, Clayton Keller, for example, who's legit. Yeah. Uh, the Kings have a bunch of guys who used to be really good. So, <laughs> you know. I love how you,
0: you throw in, like, random pot shots against the Kings from time to time.
1: Well, you know what? The Oilers have uh, reached a... I'm not going to call it a resolution, but they've reached a turning point, maybe, in their development. So i got to work on my new Western Conference mockery target, and I'm thinking the Kings might be pretty special.
0: I mean, let's not pretend uh, that we're going to stop mocking the Oilers anyways. Oh,
1: God, no. I mean, that would be betraying my essence, but yeah, uh, just wanted to toss that in there. Anyway, so the All-Star game, uh, actually, the game itself is occurring, uh, I believe, but there was a skills competition. I'm pretty sure
0: the game was also yesterday. Was it? You <laughs> see, I don't know or care,
1: and I want to be clear. I'm someone who follows the Leafs very, very closely, but just the All Star Game does nothing for me. We, we can tell um, you who the
0: second line center on the Arizona Coyotes are, but we can't tell you what time the All Star Game is.
1: Yeah, it just it doesn't it doesn't do it, but that's fine. There was a skills competition, and I also want to emphasize again, I didn't watch the skills competition. But uh, the NHL did do a thing where they invited some elite women's hockey players. To demonstrate, as they called it, where they would perform uh, the competition. So, they would do this the skating race or the passing competition or whatever. But they weren't competing per se. Like, they weren't in the lineup with the NHL All-Stars. They were just doing the thing. With um, the exception kind of, of
0: Kendall coyne Schofield, right? Because she ended oh, up yeah, being she was... put into the competition to replace Nathan McKinnon in the fastest skater.
1: Right, okay. So... There were There is a, a point for raising that kind of weird middle ground because it appeared on Friday night that Brienne Decker, Brianna Decker. You see, I'm butchering this name. I'm so sorry. Um, Miss Decker, whose name I'm trying not to butcher at this hour of the early morning, uh, won the passing competition. And I don't mean that she competed in it at a high level or anything like that. She appeared to win it. She appeared to do better at it than Leon Dreisaitl, who won it over everyone else. Um... And there was a big discussion here about the prize money, because there is prize money for winning a skills competition. It's $25,000. And the statement on the part of the league was, well, she's not actually competing in it. She's just demonstrating it, so we don't award it. And then there was some discussion of like, well, did she actually win it? Was her time really the best? And that wasn't kind of clear.
0: Yeah, so uh, Friedman essentially carrying water for the league here. Um, said so that they went back and timed it, and her time was like one twelve as opposed to like one oh six or something like that, uh, and and one oh six would have been like comfortably ahead of Drysaddle, and one twelve was was not. It's just it's it just seems like it's such an unnecessary thing to do, cause like it's such obviously good PR hitting you in the face if you just give her twenty five k, which you literally have in the couch cushions if you're the NHL.
1: Yeah, you know, like that's a meaningful amount of money. You know, the, the NHL is kind of swimming in it, whereas, you know, a lot of women's hockey players, um, for example, many of them have to uh, to work in the off season or whatever. But like the the money isn't there to nearly the same extent. So twenty five thousand dollars is a meaningful yeah, it's contribution. a contribution,
0: significant amount to to someone like Brianna Decker. Yes, so, I mean, it's I mean the same as, amount to almost anyone, right?
1: Yeah, I I, I mean. I would like $25,000, but also I don't deserve it because I didn't win a skills competition. Yeah. But, uh, you know, putting aside, we're not as equipped to talk about this as, as some people should be, but it seems really clear that, you know, if you have these elite athletes there, they're clearly able to compete at this level. Like, it's not a question of, oh, we're going to give someone a pat on the head and have them here. They're doing this, and they're doing this at a level that's competitive with these skaters possibly better than these very very high-end NHL and this isn't a
0: one-off either last year Hillary Knight did the uh shot accuracy Mm -hmm. competition in the same in the same sort of way where it it was like a demonstration or whatever but her time was very very good
1: so at, at this point it's like okay so we have these elite athletes we think you know you can do some good uh for the game by having some cross promotion just let them actually compete Stop kind of being one foot in, one foot out with the demonstration thing. And then you have this sort of messy situation where someone both won and did not win. Yeah. uh, According to how you described it. It seems like this is a pretty clear step forward. And, you know, the truth is, if it turns out that some of these professional women's players are better than some very high-end men's players, maybe that will be consciousness expanding for some people about what people can do. So... That's just our aside again. Uh, I'm woefully inequipped to talk about this because the only team I follow very closely is the Leafs, and also I do watch the All Star Game. But it just does seem to me like th- there was like a clear right answer here, and it seems like definitely what the NHL should do going forward. I I do see the, you know the NHL is donating some money in the names of uh, they're demonstrating women's hockey players, to charities of their choice, which is, you know, it's something. And I know CCM uh, gave Miss Decker uh, 25 grand, which shows that they have a PR person who has their head up. But it, it does just seem to me like the NHL could stand to take kind of a step here um, in the right direction and avoid a lot of this kind of murkiness, which kind of clouds what should be a really impressive achievement and a clear statement that... There's a lot of skill in women's hockey that deserves to be accredited, so.
0: Yeah, and I think yeah. part of the reaction to this is just that the NHL so routinely trips over the ground in this respect, like they like to pat themselves on the back regarding, you know, representation and hockey's for everyone, but mm-hmm. with a slam dunk opportunity to to show that in like an actual meaningful way, you know, they take probably a a suboptimal path or at least the path that is um not quite as conducive to showing that representation and fairness and equality and showing that hockey truly is for everyone it doesn't seem to be a huge priority or at least if it is they're prioritizing it in a very very odd way it's just um i mean this isn't an isolated incident and it's not just it's not constrained to uh women's hockey as well it's questions of like of the fact that they trot out Bobby Hall at every opportunity, who is a guy who, unironically, uh, and it, actually even if you said this ironically, it wouldn't be good, but he unironically said that like Hitler had some good ideas.
1: Oh yeah, I, I mean, and like he, it's, he's uh, just he's just a wife, yeah he's just a, a reprehensible a human, human being, being. just an yeah, awful,
0: awful 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 human being. Doesn't stop them from from bringing him out at every opportunity. Um, there's a lot of kind of things like this where, you know, they they don't really. They don't really put their money where their mouth is when it comes to all this stuff about how they care about diversity and representation. So this was an opportunity for them to do so. And unsurprisingly, unsurprisingly, they didn't take what I think is the best path forward. Hopefully they will in the future. My hopes aren't very high.
1: No, I hate to say it, but nobody ever went broke betting against the NHL doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you never know. There is some social pressure uh, element uh, that you see more and more obviously, um, and it's one of the potential positive impacts of Twitter is that they can kind of rally some opinion on these points. So again, I'm conscious that I am not super well equipped to talk about this. Yeah, neither and of us so are. We had, so we have some, uh, some writers who have done uh, obviously a much better job than I'm doing on this podcast but if you'd like to read our site catch it had a good piece kind of summing up the whole state of play here and you can also read Annie and Nafio, who write for us and who really are the experts on this point. But we did want to give a a nod to that just because it is something that's happening. And it does seem like, you know, you'd like the NHL to do the right thing once in a while.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I'll say um, in plugging our site is that uh, Annie and Nafio also do tremendous women's hockey coverage in general, not just limited to its interaction with the NHL, but women's hockey on its own. Um, They do a phenomenal job. They put a ton of effort into it. And yeah, if you're interested in this at all, you should definitely check them out.
1: Yeah, uh, especially on Wednesday mornings, they have uh, a regular recurring roundup of what's happening in women's hockey. And they also do some feature writing when news comes up. So keep an eye on that. More generally about the All-Star game, um, there was a bit of a thing with uh, Austin Matthews kind of paying tribute to Patrick Marleau. And, you know, I thought that was nice. It is nice to have uh, a tribute to older veteran players. Patrick Marleau clearly a great guy. Um, intangibles are presumably off the charts, you know, so that's a good example for what you need to do to maintain your body to keep playing in the NHL um, approaching age 40, which whatever we might say or be about to say about the quality <laughs> of his performance Um, You have to respect that because that's an extremely difficult achievement in today's NHL, even for a once very elite player like Patrick Marleau was. Um, And and make no mistake, at at the height of his career, he was fantastic. Um, That said, uh, you know, it leads to a lot of discussion here again about the contract and uh, you see the odd pot shot against the nerds for lamenting the third year of the contract. And it is kind of, I feel like it's tough to get a read on what Patrick Marlowe is actually doing if you just sort of look at, well, he's still about a 20-goal player. You know, that's that's pretty good. The thing about Patrick Marlowe at this point is, to be clear, he's still certainly playable in your top nine. He is still capable of contributing offensively, but he doesn't do much else that I can discern like he's an offensive opportunist and he has that skill set he still has a pretty decent amount of speed especially for for a guy of his age but a lot of the rest of the game is kind of falling away around him and that's pretty tough
0: yeah so here's the fundamental problem with Marlowe's play right now as you said he's an offensive opportunist who Really, the value he provides is in his point scoring, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: His 5v5 point scoring, uh, when you adjust it per minute, is less than Zach Hyman, Par Lindholm, Connor Brown, and yes, Freddie Gauthier. Yeah,
1: I mean... <laughs> now, that said, as we've acknowledged previously on this podcast, Freddie Gauthier is now evolving into a god, but... Yeah, and yeah.
0: to be clear, um, Marlowe is... I, I I don't believe his true offensive ability even now at this point of his career is less than any of those guys he has a very very low individual points percentage Um, I I think his on shooting percentage is not tremendously high Uh, it it, he's getting a little unlucky but when you bring nothing else to the table it it kind of lowers your margin for error in terms of being a productive player right Um, Mm -hmm. for all the criticism William Nylander has got for his lack of scoring uh, and all Here, again, I'll note that Nylander hasn't been scoring, but his lines have been doing quite well in terms of shot share and expected goal share. And actually, after his three-point game against Washington, he's ahead of Marlowe in terms of scoring uh, on a permanent basis. For all the criticism Nylander's gotten, he was doing things well besides scoring. Marlowe doesn't have that in his back pocket. In fact, if you look at um, pretty much every relative to teammate possession metric, he is among the worst on the team, if not the worst, and pretty close to the bottom league-wide. Uh, in RAPM, which is a great stat that I love from Evolving Wild, uh, it's from on their Evolving Hockey website, which essentially is um, a context-neutral adjustment for how well someone drives play. He is last on the team in terms of driving shot share. If you change to driving expected goals, he's no longer last. He is third last. So I like. Mean- the numbers kind of speak for themselves, and I don't think they really disagree with the eye test in this case either. I I think he's looked pretty ineffective to my eyes whenever he has games where he doesn't score, and those games where he doesn't score are more and more frequent. Um, the Athletic has a, a feature after every Leafs game where they do like grades of like uh, how did every Leafs player play. And more often than not, I feel like Marlowe is in, in the invisible category, but it's not like invisible in a good way it's invisible in a bad way
1: yeah when you're an offensive player invisibility is generally treated as a negative it's not like the defensive defenseman who it's like it's a good game where you don't notice him and, and again you know there's there's still there are still things in patrick marlowe's game that are useful but i think there's a lot of assuming that because he's a veteran because he he is by all accounts a great guy off the ice because people like him frankly for a lot of really good reasons because people want him to do well I think there's an assumption that he's bringing a lot of little things to the table. You you know, it's often a statement about experienced veteran players is, you know, he does all the little things well. He knows kind of how to play the game just by virtue of experience. And that's a very nice feeling and a nice narrative. The problem is anytime we try and go to measure that in Marlowe's game at this point, we're not seeing it. And you can say, well, there are a lot of things that you're incapable of measuring, a lot of things you don't see. That's true. But, in terms of netting out his impact on the game, it just seems clear that it's not there to a huge degree. I don't, you know, I don't like slagging him. I don't like being critical of him. And again, all of this is a lot more palatable if his contract had a cap hit of like two million instead of a little over six. You know what I mean? Honestly, and I, you would,
0: I would say right. that I, I wouldn't even care about this if his contract had a term of two years, because mm-hmm. then I'd recognize it as hey they the money while they had it, and then it expires when we uh, need the money. The third year makes this really, really, really concerning, because, well, if he's not doing very well now, I don't expect him to get better in a year.
1: Yeah, and the truth is is that the third year is what got him, by all accounts. Yes. Like, San Jose's offer was two years, ours was three, he took the three, which is entirely what he should do. Yeah, absolutely. From his own self-interest. But the third year is also probably what cost you Jake Gardner. Like, there's a pretty decent chance that the forthcoming cap squeeze, if we lose him, I hate to say it, but you can draw a pretty direct line and say that's where the money went. Now, that's obviously, he's not the only expense on the team by any means, but he was probably the most easily avoidable one Mm -hmm. in in a lot of respects. And and I suppose, like, I don't mean to bring this up so much to say that... um, you know, it's the end of the world or anything, because it's not. The team is still quite good, although this defense minus Jake Gardner without adding much else could be uh, pretty dicey. But um, but I do think that there is a real desire to believe that Marlowe's contract is somehow good, or that the nerds are going to be wrong, or that it's going to be fine or whatever. And, you know, I think that it does have to stand as Probably we made an overpay and we, you know, we can't measure all the great off ice effects that he's probably having, but the fact remains the the results we're seeing are just totally not commensurate with that. Yeah. So
0: yeah. Uh, we... Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's unfortunate. And we'll, well, I guess we'll see how it progresses. I, there, there was a, a, a kind of thread of people, uh, when the deal was signed, and I think this has kind of subsisted or per, per, uh, been perpetuated as well um, in the time since, that who felt that the Leafs could perhaps get rid of that third year somehow, or get rid of Marlowe in that third year. Mm-hmm. Um, because he has an interesting contract structure where he pays a lot of it, or he's paid a lot of it on July 1st. And afterwards, mm-hmm. it's a tiny amount, relatively speaking, in terms of an actual cash outlay. So in theory, a cap floor team who wants a high cap hit but not a high cash outlay, and a guy who can still play in the NHL, would um, might find him attractive. Now, that is good in theory. The problem is Marlowe has a no move contract or no move clause, which means yeah. he's not going anywhere unless he wants to. And I don't believe we have any indication that he wants to. I think it's hard to assume that he will want to move, especially having been in San Jose for so long and then coming here and. You know, he has a, a young family as well, like four school-aged kids. Probably doesn't want to move them again for what may be the last year of his career. I imagine he'd like to stay.
1: Yeah, and no. with all reason, you know, he's obviously got a, a good relationship with the younger players, including Matthews. Yes. Um, and, you know, he's got a not inconsiderable shot of the Stanley Cup.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Which, uh,
1: so I, I like all of these things kind of tell well. My honest guess as to why the contract was structured that way but with also a no move clause is it was sort of an escape hatch to say, okay, if things really aren't going well and we don't predict it in the third year, we'll have this as kind of an escape hatch and we we can send you kind of somewhere out of town to have your final season in some relative comfort, maybe even back to the sharks. Um, You know what I mean? And I think it makes a lot more sense if it was something to give Marlowe some reassurance about making a move away from, you know, the franchise he's played his whole career with. um, than to give the Leafs an escape hatch, because again, there's a full no move on it. So, yeah, I I mean, we're just kind of saddled with it. It is what it is. Just mostly to have an honest perception of what he's bringing to the table at this point. Um, More than anything. Again, it's not the end of the world. Pretty much every team has a bad contract or two sitting around yeah and uh, again marlo is not unplayable which is more than you can say for some players who are several years younger than him on deals that cost six million i mean milan lucci just cheap shot there mm-hmm. yeah. but uh but yeah just because i think there's a bit of a rose-colored glasses thing going on there
0: yeah. sorry <laughs> the other thing i, I want to point out is um i think we both kind of said this at the time that the deal was was signed and we took yeah. a lot of crap for that i am often wrong um so i mean i don't take this as me saying like oh i i, w- I was right go me I'm, I'm wrong a lot but i i think in general both of us kind of hit it on the on the head here i actually i actually pulled up what i said about the the marlowe contract at the time and it, it actually has aged like very very well
1: that's nice for us. That I know. Doesn't it doesn't happen it, all it, that often. Yeah, I know.
0: It, it doesn't happen that often, to be honest. And, like, I mean, that's one thing that writing publicly will hopefully ingrain in in most people who do it is that you have a written track record. And uh, you're going to be wrong. Like, not often. Absolutely. Really. Like, maybe not e- 50% yeah. of the time or more. But, like, you're going to be wrong. You're going to make some bad calls. It happens to everyone. It's hockey's a really, really random sport. It's hard to project. So...
1: Yeah, I uh, I'm actually gonna reference that a little bit later in this podcast while talking about my personal favorite topic, which is the Edmonton Oilers. <laughs> but uh, we'll save that for uh, for due time. Anyway, uh, look, it is what it is. Uh, we'll go for it. The truth is is that, notwithstanding all this, if the Leafs do magically win the Cup this season, I want. Uh, Austin or whoever it is to pick up the uh, the cup and then turn and hand it to Patrick Marlowe. Oh, that's and I think 100%. everyone does. Yeah, 100% like that's that'll you know, so so some of it as much as you know we've given the dollars and cents analysis on the emotional analysis you gotta love Patrick Marlowe. So yeah, y- yeah. I mean, we'll 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 leave it at I that. Guess I guess the
0: question is who's the third person to touch the cup. So I'm, I'm guessing Tavares <laughs> would be the one to take it.
1: That makes and, a lot of sense. Right? actually.
0: and then I think he'd pretty much immediately give it to to Marleau. And then mm-hmm. who does Marlon give it to? Like, the obvious answer would have been Hansey, but Hansey won a cup.
1: Yes. I mean, you could give it to, to Mo. You could do it. I don't know if you do it in order of seniority or something like
0: I, that. I think that's what you give they it... often do it. At, I don't know. So maybe maybe a guy like, I don't know, does, does Tyler Ennis what? get it third?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's Naz.
0: Yo, yo, yo so, yeah, yeah, Naz. Um, I mean, I think the or, team will want to give it to Goate after his six hat tricks in the Stanley Cup final.
1: Yeah, but I mean, he's already going to have the consmite. There's a certain point where you don't need to honor the guy twice, right? That's
0: true. It's a good point.
1: Yeah. By the way, everyone makes fun of Leaf fans for planning the parade. I think planning the cop handoff is close. So we've actually (laughs) embraced the stereotype here. But, uh, yeah. Um, Yeah, so that said, you know, it is what it is. You had some thoughts about another much-discussed Leaf who we've obviously talked about a lot which is william nylander but in a kind of a different context than us just talking about him
0: yeah so um i was watching the broadcast last wednesday of toronto versus washington and i guess during the first intermission maybe the second um, after nylander had notched either a point or two actually it would have been after the second because i think they showed the, his assist on the zeit's of goal um, Brian Burke said something to the effect of like, oh, look, William Nylander is actually contributing. And, you know, he, he, it, you know, he's actually doing well. I'm surprised as you are. And then he went on like a – it was just kind of a transition to talking about what he did. And in that kind of speech, he said, you know, it's not about the point. It's about the effort and the things like that. And I just found this so disingenuous. Because oh, he's it, full of shit. <laughs> it very clearly is about the points, right? And I, we have beat this topic home really hard over the past, like, three podcasts or whatever. But Nylander had been playing well. The points hadn't come in, but his his line was playing strongly. They were controlling uh, shot share. They are controlling expected goal share. He had looked like himself for a couple weeks at this point. It's just the pucks weren't going in. It was the worst time for a slump, given everything going on around him. And... The criticism of him from, from Brian Burke very clearly was about his lack of points. And that's why he was taking a pot shot on it. And that's why they had, people had discussed his contract so negatively and his play so negatively, because he wasn't getting points. And it's it's just it's so aggravating because these players and or not these players, these uh, talking heads often discuss, like, oh, you know, we look beyond the points. You know, you, all you stat heads only see what's on the score sheet. We see beyond that. But it's very obvious that they didn't in this case. They mm-hmm. they very obviously didn't see that, hey, Nylander's actually playing well because they're too busy looking at the score sheet and saying, oh, he had zero points. He must have sucked. Right? And it, it was it's just beyond frustrating because – Every game, Greg Moen, the color analyst, who I generally dislike, but he would say, hey, Nylander's getting chances, they're going to go in. And he was right. And eventually, they did. And frankly, the three-assist game he had against Washington, I don't think it was his best game. The three mm-hmm. assists were n- not, th- not that great, really. The first assist, he frankly, that was a really, really generous assist. He barely touched the puck. He definitely was not trying to pass it to Kadri in front. But whatever, he got an assist. The second assist was a very nice play, but it set up a Nikita Zaitsev shot from what, the the point? That's a 2% shot? 3% shot at best? Most of the time that time. I mean, up,
1: up until that game, it was a 0% yeah. shot. <laughs>
0: the, the third assist oh. was nice. He had a zone entry and then passed uh, to Brown for, for a one timer, but then it ricocheted off both posts and went to Kadri. Like, that, that was kind of a very lucky goal. It wasn't like he set up three tap ins, it, it was. The same game he had many times, but the pucks went in. And mm-hmm. it's just beyond aggravating to see dinosaurs like Burke pretend like they know more than they do about hockey. Or not not pretend, feel like he knows more than he does when what he's saying is so obviously full of shit. He's <laughs> he's just a complete imbecile, an utter lack of critical thinking. He has the IQ of a damp dishcloth, really. <laughs> like, I cannot say enough negative things about Burke as a analyst for hockey I, you you failed running the richest team in the in the world what yeah what credibility do you have
1: uh, yeah i i mean i think that that's all valid now to be clear burke did some good things i'm not discounting that burke has some wisdom but the system of sort of the on-screen punditry where you know you have to say controversial things every time like you really have to be pointed you've seen those commercials for brokers like yeah you know i've got opinions well whoop do you do they're like assholes everyone has one yeah but you know the the thing about it is that like it's so often generated based on well i see this now and you can just assert that you're seeing something special or magical um in the eye test that's changed and correlate it to the results and there you go. No one can discount you. You can say, you know, I wasn't seeing the effort before, but now I'm seeing the effort. Well, okay, that's very easy to do. I could do that without having watched any games whatsoever and by pulling up hockey DB page.
0: And that's, the, and that's the frustrating thing you know, where it's like, if, if you wanted to say, oh, I'm seeing this, and like there doesn't even have to be data necessarily supporting it because we don't necessarily have that data. But if you said, oh, I'm seeing this, and here's my thoughts on it, that's one thing. But what you're seeing, if it's literally just... The person who scored did well the person who's not scoring didn't do well the team that's winning is good the team that's not winning is bad then what are you adding I could replace you with a fucking robot and get (laughs) no difference at all yeah
1: I mean and the reality is, is it's so frustrating I think for us specifically because as you said we watched Burke come in with really the fanfare of trumpets and I think if you weren't watching the Leafs at the at that time First of all, God bless you, you have been spared a terrible trial. But second of all, you you don't remember, he was the franchise savior. He was going to come in and clean up after the the nightmare that was uh, John Ferguson Jr. and then temporarily Cliff Fletcher for a bit. Like, he was going to come and save us, was the idea, because he was this great hockey man full of wisdom. Now, look, Brian Burke, I think probably knows how to make a pretty decent trade sometimes he did get us Jake Gardner
0: yeah he, look, he, uh, he's made example. some good trades and I, I'm I'm being harsh when I say like what's his credibility he was a GM for yeah. a long time that is worth something I'm not saying they should put me on this intermission panel instead of him I'm just saying his opinions mostly suck
1: yeah I mean well this is the thing right is he did a couple good things but on net he did not do a good job with that team and he seems one I don't I guess he can't in terms of self-preservation for his ego or his own personal credibility as a talking head. He can't really acknowledge how badly that really went. You know what I mean? You know, he's denied, I'm not bitter because the Leafs let me go or anything like that. The truth is, is that he never made the playoffs in any of his years running the Leafs. The Leafs made it on a fluke run after he was fired under Dave Nonis. So if you want to give him credit for that, I guess you could, although frankly... That's worth not much credit in my eyes, but whatever. But it's just this idea that all of this has now imbued him his ability to make these kind of opinions that clearly don't have any support whatsoever and to just sort of throw them out there as if they're the word of God. And they are asserted as if they're incontrovertible. And I know that that's like the whole point of the panel is like we're like the tough hockey men with like strong opinions. But that's exactly the kind of analysis I wish there were a lot less of. And, and, you know, um, I've actually referenced Justin Bourne quite frequently because he's a writer that I generally very much like. I think he has interesting things to say. Yeah, I think he's an example
0: of a guy who points out things that he is seeing that may or may not be directly supported by data, but are interesting and have some reasoning and aren't always tied to – this is what the net, the puck went in the net. So this was good.
1: Yeah. Like it's honest. Yeah. It doesn't mean that it's always right because literally no one is always right. Including, and especially me, God help Yes. Both of us. But, but you know, he, he looks at it and like, this is really what he's seeing. I'm not even sure like what the process prior to Burke forming these opinions was, uh, is the reality. And I reference Bourne because he said he thinks that Burke has done a good job. And he thinks that Burke represents the hockey man perspective, in quotes. And what I find myself thinking, with due respect to Bourne, is we get the hockey man perspective over and over again, Seven Ways of Sunday. There was no shortage of hockey men on all of these panels, on all of these networks, all over Twitter. Uh, You can still see them. And it's only really been lately that it feels like there's been a lot of progress And even slightly putting some intellectual diversity in that panel, putting aside any other kind of diversity, like, you know, the hockey men are almost universally uh, white guys in late middle age. You you know, it's just, if we are going to have that perspective, and that's fine, I just don't know that we need to have it sort of thrown at us so blatantly with like a middle finger up, but also so like with such like a kind of insulting lack of cover for what's supposed to be behind it. You know, like there's not even an effort to really make it convincing that he really saw things here, that he's really working off evidence here. There's just an effort to assert it because asserting it like as loudly and violently as possible is the point. The point is to be like a hard driven hockey man with strong opinions. And I just know what I know. And that thinking I think, is what ran the Leafs into the ground for several years. Yeah. And so I think I I didn't like it when it ran my team, and I don't want to give it much time uh, when it's on broadcast. But since they put it on there, I felt like we probably got to talk about it. I know you did, too. But
0: Yeah. Jeez. And the thing is, there's some people who do it well. I think Ray Ferraro, in his radio hits when he does his uh, Carter commentary on TV, mm-hmm. does a very good job of it. And again, I that doesn't mean I always agree with him. There's sometimes... I think that he is also impacted by the puck went in, so they were, they were doing a good job. And, but like he points to things on the ice that are happening in such a way um, that there's no doubt that he is basing his opinion off some evidence that is meaningful. Meaningful to him, at yeah. least. right? And that is not just limited to goals, assists, points, obvious gaffes. Like, he, he points out other things. Right, um, and that's fine. Like, and that that makes use of his credibility from his playing career, right? Because he can add to that in a way that someone like me certainly couldn't.
1: Yeah. Oh, I mean, he's very good at this. And you know what? He is hard bitten. He is assertive. You know, he'll he'll tell you to take a hike if he doesn't think that you're uh, you're bringing something to the table. But there's just something behind it. I almost think like Burke is capable of more than he offers. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying I I think that he would be my cup of tea or anything, but it's almost like if you're going to do this, at least seem like you're trying, I guess is is what it feels like to me. You know what I mean? Like, you're not just coasting on your persona and your idea that you're going to be like, yeah, I've got opinions. Uh, God, that commercial hit drives me nuts. It's so bad. Between
0: that and the quest trade.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the quest trade things that we have the privilege of seeing all the time, just as an aside, but I don't get why the bankers don't have an answer ever. Yeah, the bankers it's, are
0: like really stupid for being nefarious people stealing money.
1: Yeah, it's, it's like, you know, you do all this effort to, you, you know, really make sure that you get your premium or whatever. But like when someone asks you, "Hey, why is this a good idea?" You're like, "Ah, I don't know. I just thought I would move the money into the column." It's like you're a banker. And you're supposed to be, you know, at least capable of stealing with a straight face. My fa- anyway, that's one. My decide. favorite
0: one. <laughs> this is this. We're we're now a Quest Trade commercials podcast. Um, my favorite one is the is the one where the client is like, uh, "Oh, we're, I'm taking my money out because of the fees," and the banker's like. But your fees are how I get paid. Why would you say that? <laughs> <laughs> what fucking moron says that? Jesus Christ!
1: But I want your fees. That's how I get money. Yeah, but like this is the thing: is like the whole premise of these commercials is that you have these savvy investors who are just gonna dunk all over these uh, these bank people and. You know, I get why that's their angle on it, but the truth is, if you've ever had the misfortune of trying to get some financial advice, and you're going to be better at this than, than I ever would be, but the truth is, most of the time, the bankers seem like they're much smarter and know much more than you, um, and you're constantly trying to discern which of these plausible-sounding things is real and how much weight do I put on them. If it were just that easy, where it's just anytime you, you know, it's time to ask questions about your money. If you ask a single question about your money, the banker like melts like the Wicked Witch from the West or something like that. Like, no, if anyone asks about the fees, I'm going to melt. It's like, come on. So, yeah, I, I just, I feel like we have to get that off our chest because the Street commercials are like seven times a game now.
0: They're so bad. I feel like
1: I could all the time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> My brother lives in, in the U.S., so he doesn't see these commercials, but uh, he, he visited here recently, and we, we watched a game. And he's like, wow, these commercials are, like, actually horrendous. And now whenever he watches on a stream, he'll, like, text me when one of the commercials comes up, and we'll, like, go back and forth with our thoughts on it. We, tr- we try and envision the meeting where someone pitched it. <laughs>
1: Okay, we've got a banker and he has a room temperature IQ and he's just going to come in there and get destroyed by his first client of the day. That's our commercial.
0: What if our banker had an abotomy? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Questrade. Is your banker doing okay? He seems really stupid.
0: I guess it's work anyway. cuz we just had uh, like a 5 minute segment on that.
1: <laughs> I had a lot of feelings about Questrade that were buried really deep Yeah. this is just even how it This is very Quest. therapeutic. Yeah, but we should talk about hockey, I suppose, on our hockey podcast. By the way, Quest
0: Trade, over. if you want to do a brand deal, hit me up.
1: Yeah, we will start <laughs> saying much nicer things for a very small amount of money. You won't even notice. It'll be like a fee. But, um, <laughs> hey, oh.
0: It'll be like so the there- low, low fees you can get at Quest Trade.
1: <laughs> yeah, hey, we barely make any money on the transaction. So, yeah, so bringing it back to, to hockey, which is nominally our topic, um, There's been some discussion lately about a pair of former Leafs executives who are not Brian Burke and who I think certainly have more to hang their hat on from their Toronto tenures than Brian Burke did. But Lou Lamorello's New York Islanders, in defiance of, I'm going to say, everybody, are leading the Metropolitan Conference right now. And they're actually one point ahead of the Leafs. Um, This is a team that I think everyone thought was going to tank. I still kind of suspect that the leadership of that team thought that that they were going to be really really bad this year just from some of the decisions they made. But the fact remains, we all thought they were going to be bad. And they've and you know, he made a number of moves that were very roundly panned mm-hmm. by stats Twitter. And lucky here, the New York Islanders are Dominating, They look like they're going to cruise into the playoffs, very possibly, even if they slump.
0: Yeah, they've, which they've banked might expect so many points.
1: Yeah, like at a certain point, you know, it's like you have a margin of... Uh, oh my, yeah, I mean, the first non-playoff team is the Buffalo Sabres, who are nine points back of them. So that's a
0: pretty considerable lead. With, like, what, 30 games to go?
1: Yeah, like, you know, like they would have to do the 18-wheeler thing off a cliff yep. in order to... uh to really put themselves out of the running and that's you have to give credit a really incredible achievement
0: it really is um, yeah like w- no sarcasm they're a better team than i think we all expected even if they are running hot and they are running hot unless thomas grice and robin leonard have like decided to become Dominic kashik just permanently
1: yeah and you know if you can do that to make that decision you should i don't know why In more people obvious, don't try it yeah, it's weird how the people aren't doing that. Now, I mean, so the, the caveats that come up, obviously, are, you know, that save percentage and the related point of they're leading the league in PDO, mm-hmm. which is suggestive. They're a slightly below average shot share team. There are a lot of, like, warning signs on the dash there a little bit. And then you say, okay, well, how sustainable is whatever they're doing? Yeah. Um, and I can't say that I know. For sure, I think it's clear that Barry Trotz, who has come in and coached that team, um, has given them a defensive structure absolutely that's better than it was absolutely. because they were an abjectly bad defensive team before this, and now they look pretty decent.
0: Yeah, I think you know? um, and I can just check this real quickly, but I think they basically grade out as a league average defensive team from like a shots perspective
1: mm-hmm. and
0: like an expected goals perspective, which is which is good because they were just horrific at it last year. Um, Trots oh, yeah. has been very helpful in that regard, and yeah, according to Hockey Viz, they're they're basically a an average five on five team. Um, they do have some strong talent. As much as we made fun of Anders Lee, Anders Lee is a legitimately excellent player, one of the most underrated in the league. He's really good. Um, yeah, you know,
1: speaking of uh, being wrong, Anders Lee. Yeah, no, he, he uh, he's he's
0: good, and like part of us making fun yeah. of him was kind of just memeing. I, I I felt he was not as good as he was with Tavares, but like a decent player. He's better than I thought he was. Absolutely. Yeah, I,
1: like the, the reality is, is that he he might hit thirty goals again this year, which I think is pretty you know impressive. That doesn't mean he's going to do forty like he did, but that's still really good. It's like William Carlson after regression. It's like well, he's not going to do that again, but he's still going to be a really good player. And it's clear that that's what's what's happening there. Like he's a a solid scoring winger. Yeah, um, Matt
0: Barzal is the truth. I mean, he is amazing. Ball maybe the best neutral zone player in the league or best transition player in the league outside of Connor McDavid.
1: Just an unreal talent. I I mean, that's the thing is that they always had was a a legit first line center, even after Tavares left, which is just a huge building block. Yep. They do have to make some tough decisions now because it's extremely difficult to sell in the position you're in, but they also then have to make decisions about Eberle, uh, Brock Nelson... Anders Lee, who I, I think they're definitely going to extend. He's their
0: captain, so I I imagine yeah, so. Yeah, I mean,
1: they cannot. And Robin Laner, um, yeah. all of whom are going unrestricted soon. So, like, there is some potential for them to set themselves up in an unfortunate way. But I'll tell you, I think a lot of people uh, in the weeks after Lou Lamorello went there and they lost Tavares. And then Lou made a lot of moves that some of them I still think are kind of iffy. Like, I don't think I'm going to want to be paying For Leo Komarov, 3 million cap hit when he's like 36.
0: Yeah, no, definitely not.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that could end belly. But the reality is, I think he was underrated uh, by Stats Twitter. If you want to talk about biases that Stats Twitter has, I think Lou Lamorello did a better job in a lot of ways in Toronto than he was credited for, and I've always felt that. But it's possible the job he's doing in Long Island is also better than we expected, and that I did not
0: see coming. Uh, so uh, I, I mean, I'm going to push back on this a little bit. I, I disagree with yeah. you, with respect to how much Lamorello should be given credit for here. Okay. Because, I mean, okay. So I think the best thing he did is get Trots. Yeah. Right. So actually, I, you deserve credit for for that. It's kind. It was kind of obvious. Trots is known to be an excellent coach. Mm. Right. So if you can get that guy, go get him. Um. But I don't know. Have has have the moves that he's made specifically been what's propelled this team? I guess he would have acquired Leonard, right? I, I don't I actually don't know how he got there, but I think there's like a zero percent chance he thought Leonard would be this.
1: Probably not. <laughs> yeah, I mean Leonard right now is on top of the world. Yeah, um, and you know given uh, he, he's recovering from some pretty difficult times in his uh, in his life, so yeah, certainly good for him on that respect. But yeah, I mean you can also say like look, a lot of things kind of fell into his lap. I don't know. I have to admit, again, still still, some of those contracts don't look all that terrific to me. And a lot of what he did actually made the most sense to me for a team that thought it was going to be bad. You know what I mean? Like, you were going to get defensively responsible players. You were going to get Barry Trots, You were going to teach the young players to play uh, solid two-way games. And it was going to be sort of a development thing for a couple of years draft tie build a core you're competitive by the time Barzal is 24 25 that made sense to me as a coherent plan for the Islanders going forward especially
0: given their strong draft last year they got Wallstrom and Dobson i think
1: yeah which should theoretically do them uh, a lot of favors and they also they picked up Bode Wild
0: who is supposed to be isn't it Bodie Wilds
1: i don't know man i've i've realized since doing this prod, this podcast that i often read about a lot of players and I don't pronounce their names like almost ever, mm-hmm. and I just keep pronouncing them extremely wrong over and over again. And for that, I'm very sorry. It's nothing personal. Yeah, but um, yeah. So I don't, I don't know about this with the Islanders going forward. I just do think like, I mean, I don't know. You can just say it's a PDO bender if you want to, and there's certainly a big aspect of that. Like I don't think they're a legit first place team in the Metro. But I just think that there's a real tendency to underestimate Lou Lamarello, I suppose. And I, never, I, I I do really feel that he's like he's been really denigrated for his Toronto tenure and like everything, you know, like the good things that he did are kind of hand waved away. But if you look at his whole tenure, and I did a very, very long piece on this trying to look at him move by move, I found myself thinking, you can question the Marlowe contract a little bit. You can question it you can a lot. Question, you can question it a lot. You can question it a lot. Okay. <laughs> uh and you can question the Zeitsev contract, I'm gonna admit a, lot. a fair bit. Yeah. Alright. Um granted I see why they did it, but yeah. it looks like a mistake.
0: I I, I but, think I think he had a very successful start, but then a few of his major moves towards the end were really, really bad. And yeah. I think that's a huge por a huge part of the reason people don't or people have kind of denigrated his tenure. I mean, he he's done some he's made some legitimately phenomenal moves in in tearing down. I know people say, oh, tearing down is easy. He made moves above and beyond what you would expect from a teardown, right? Like the fanoof trade yeah. was just a master class.
1: Yeah, and he got uh two seconds for Pollock and spalling. Yeah. Which I've never forgotten as like for all, like, the sale uh, sales of rental trades that I've ever seen, that one was nuts. Like, in terms of proportion to the value that he gave away, um, even if you combine it with the Reimer trade, uh, where he ended up pulling a third out of that for a goalie rental, I mean, I think he did some really impressive things. I will say, the contracts that he signed that are not great, um, they're striking, they're unfortunate. I find myself thinking that pretty much any GM who's around long enough has a couple of those. And I know I'm grading on like the steepest of curves here or the most generous of curves here, but like, I just find myself thinking he didn't really leave us with any problem where I'm like tearing my hair out over it. He left me with a couple of things where it's like, I wish that guy was making $2 million less or something like that in in Marlowe's case or I wish there was less term on the Zaitsev deal. You know, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying on the scale of general manager mistakes, it doesn't feel like that's... Like, when they do, you know, lists of, like, the worst GM blunders of recent years, those aren't going to be there, in my opinion. Um, And then you stack that up against the things that he did successfully, like, you know, the teardown, getting Frederick Anderson, and then also, to some extent, not... Um, going too hard for a right-handed defenseman, like, not kind of losing his mind and overpaying. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I think that f- for what he was, he did probably a better job than some people want to acknowledge.
0: But You're like a, a guy who's, like, only dated, like, fuck-ups their entire life, and the second you meet <laughs> someone who's, like, not a terrible person, you're like, oh, wow, okay, oh. I, I'm locking this down.
1: Oh man, this person shows up on time and brushes their teeth. Hey yo. <laughs> Woo!
0: I mean, let's get married. I, I I get a lot of your points. I think maybe I'm biased by the the bad contracts, but like I I think the Marlowe deal is like legitimately just really 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 disconcerting. And I mean, it's not mm. it's not a problem insofar far as we can get around it and we'll still be all right, but as you said, there's a direct line between that Marlowe deal and the cap space we would like to use for Jake Gardner. Yeah. Or, or re- Jake Gardner's replacement. Yeah. Right.
1: No, that's true. And look, I'm not saying it doesn't matter because it, it definitely does. It 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 hurts. Um, you know, and he was certainly not perfect. I suppose I'm more reacting to. Uh, maybe this is all like the the law school thing where you're always concerned about like bias or impartiality or something like that. But I feel very much like Lou Lamorello seems like an old hockey man to to all sorts of people on, on hockey Twitter. And with reason, and he has these rules about beards and high numbers and stuff that I think are just straight up silly. Right. Like, you know, maybe they impose some sort of order or something like that, but like, you're not running the Marines, dude. I'm just not, I'm not impressed by that. But I do think that because of those and his personality and his kind of gruff way of talking, his running a tight ship and all that sort of thing. I think he can run a pretty, a a pretty competitive organization under certain pressures. That is not a given among general managers. Like he, he has talents that I've seen that I don't think all GMs do, I guess is what I'm saying. And I'll tell you what, if he were on the market And possibly if he were 10 years younger, because I'm afraid his age might cloud a little bit, but you don't think the Oilers would look really, really hard at hiring him. And further to that, I think they might have some reason for it. You know what I mean? Like, I think that it would not be the craziest choice for them to pick him. If they picked a hockey man, I'm not saying he'd be the best option, but he, he clearly showed some ability to get out of some gross contracts to impose some organizational coherence. Um, you know, to sit back and draft well and work his way up. Anyway, that's my little, uh, song and dance saying Lula Amorello, better than people give him credit for.
0: <laughs> yeah, I disagree.
1: Yeah, you're just not having no, it on this no, level. Right.
0: I, I, I just can't look past those those deals. Um, but anyways, there's a, another... You wanted to discuss Mark Hunter as well.
1: Yes, I did. Mark Hunter has been discussed in connection with that Oil GM job. Um... So Mark Hunter, as you probably remember, was assistant GM with the Leafs. He was considered kind of the alternate candidate versus Caldubas uh, to take over when Lou Lamarello was non renewed. Um, and Mark Hunter was perceived as being in charge of drafting. And he has a reputation for being kind of a drafting wizard. He also has a lot of kind of dazzling old hockey man cred because. He's been involved in running the London Knights for a very long time. And he kind of sort of left. I mean, he actually left to run the Leafs, but then he went right back to them when he left Toronto. So I don't know if he was actually that far gone, especially considering his brother was still with the organization. But he's viewed as this kind of scouting wizard. And I kind of have a middle ground opinion on Mark Hunter. My opinion on him was that he wasn't, like, absolutely awful the way that some people think that he was. And he also was not magical. He looks kind of boringly like kind of an average drafting uh, executive. If you want to give him credit for all of the Leafs drafts that happened while he was working in that job. You know, to me, he seems like... He did some good things, you know, drafting Mitch Marner, uh, Timothy Liljegren, I still think is a very strong pick. He There were a couple of later hits, like probably Carl Grundstrom, Travis Dermott, if you want to credit him for that, Jeremy Bracco. Um, and then he had some misses where he just drafted the tallest defenseman known to man. And it now looks a lot like we're not going to get any return on any of those picks. I called them the, the large adult sons. It's still pretty early, so it's not out of the question, especially for uh, Emily Rasanin, who I think may be the best remaining hope out of there. But it seems clear that none of them are tracking as NHL defensemen at this time. And you shouldn't expect on average that any of them would, given where they were picked. But it's going to be kind of an over on that one. So I, I guess my point about Mark Hunter is that Probably the truth about him is more middle of the road. He can do some things well. He does some things not so well. He has his biases. He wouldn't be my choice to run the Edmonton Oilers. But I think that he's kind of a middling option, I suppose, when I think that he's often talked about in extreme terms at either end of the
0: spectrum. Yeah, Hunter feels like like a replacement-level GM, based on what we know (laughs) of him. Like... I, like, I, I think he's like the, uh, I don't know, this this is unfair of me to say because the, th- the fact is we don't really have any track record to base this off of with, with certainty. You could point at his draft record. We don't know how much of a say he had here. We know he was passed over for the GM job. And the one thing that sticks out to me is that Shanahan said that, you know, one of the reasons he hired Dubas is because he, he knows what everyone said during the, the time mm. that he worked there, which to me that implied Dubas has been right a lot or he said a lot of things that have turned out to be correct yeah um but yeah like I, I i don't really have strong opinions on him he i'm interested to see how he would do yeah right so you know in that sense i'd be kind of interested to see the oilers hire him frankly i i think the oilers could hire like jesus and vishnu and whatever <laughs> data you want and it really wouldn't do them much good
1: i mean the truth is, is like what can they do at this point as much as i've ragged on the oilers repeatedly and, uh, you know, I, I don't promise that I'm going to stop because that wouldn't be any fun. But they're now at a point where they've set themselves up so poorly where I legitimately am not sure what I would do. Because you, you can say we're probably so cornered in terms of cap space, in terms of the quality of the team that we have here, the lack of talent, that we may not be able to be genuinely competitive in the next couple years. Or if we try too desperately to make the playoffs, uh, we're probably setting ourselves up to be no better than mediocre for the next several years. So it's sort of like you could try and do your best year in, year out to limp into the first round and then hope for the best when you get there. But that seems like a piss poor thing to be doing with the best player in the world on your roster. But then if you say, okay, we need to do like a mini rebuild or a retool which is excruciating for Oilers fans, considering how the last decade plus has gone. But if you're saying we need to take a step back there, then you need to start thinking, okay, do I need to trade Ryan Nugent and Hopkins, who's going to be unrestricted in summer 2021? Like, is that how far out I am? Am I going to extend him? Can I afford to let him go, given how bad the talent is there? So, like, there's so much to build on with the Oilers, and, you know, they're going to have no shortage of people who want the job just because there are so few NHL GM jobs available, and you get Connor McDavid as a starting point.
0: And, and you get an... Like, it's not like, yeah, McDavid and Dreisaitl, by themselves are probably the best center core in the league.
1: Yeah, like, that goes a long way. It's just they have nothing after that at forward except Ryan Nugent and Hopkins. Yeah. And then on defense, you know, they've got Clefbaum. Adam Larson is struggling. Darnell Nurse, I'm not sure what to expect out of him at this point. You have Chris Russell, who, I mean, come on. He, like, I think, I think then, Russell's a
0: fine, like bottom pairing, fringe, second pairing guy. But yeah, like yeah, he's not moving the needle drastically.
1: Not to the point where you should give him four million dollars. Oh yeah, the contract's like, bad.
0: The contract's really bad.
1: Yeah, uh, and you know, and then after that they have. Nothing, except, you know, they have the gigantic Milan Lucic contract, which, you know, we've said enough about that. That's in, indefensible. So it's it's kind of hard to know which way to go there um, for any GM. I would be curious to see what Mark Hunter would do. Would he kind of keep his powder dry and just sit and try and draft for a bit and then see if he can wait for opportunities to dispose of some of these contracts? Um it's been said before, but the fact that they have a capped out roster with Connor McDavid on it and they're out of the playoffs at present is so damning. that like that is a really dire situation for all the benefit that they've had. And in justice, I have to say, you know, they have Andre Sakara who actually made some sense. He was a good player for them for a bit, but he's now badly injured and he's sort of returning, but, they're not sure in what condition he's going to be in. So they may they may not be confident they can LTIR him. Um, but if he's just playing at a much reduced level at his cap hit, that's a problem. Um, I suppose this is a good point to kind of segue into what I was going to say about the Edmonton Oilers. And it's actually related to being wrong about the Edmonton Oilers. So I'll address that uh, straight up. I thought the Edmonton Oilers were going to win the West a couple years ago. I could not have been more wrong, but I believed it because I thought Connor McDavid, Leandro Seidel, uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and Clefbaum are too good a core to be denied. I thought basically you would have to surround them with absolute trash for them not to be competitive. And guess what? Um, the thing about being wrong about the Oilers is we've all done it. And I, we were talking about this with Burke. If you have any kind of published track record, you're going to say wrong things. You're going to be laughably wrong a lot of times the thing that was so bothersome about peter chiarelli's reign and you know as we mentioned he's now been dismissed is that the media around him would constantly buff up every single move for as long as they possibly could in defiance of the evidence and then when it finally became so clear that there was no redeeming this they just didn't about face With no acknowledgement and said, yeah, he has to go. There's like a famous example that's been making the rounds on Twitter, but Terry Jones in mid-December wrote an article with a headline saying, Peter Chiarelli looks like a genius now because the Oilers had had a mini little PDO streak under Ken Hitchcock. And five weeks later, uh, Terry Jones was saying, who in the world is going to hire Peter Chiarelli now after what he's done to the Edmonton Oilers? I think the thing that's most infuriating about all this, and the reason why maybe I focused on the Oilers more than I probably needed to, let's be honest, is that kind of just raw asserting, we're smart, you're dumb, we know things you don't. We'll assert them loudly, we don't have to back them up, because again, we know things you don't. You're an idiot if you don't know this. I mean, Mark Spector coined the phrase 200 hockey men saying 200 hockey men would take uh, Adam Larson for Taylor Hall every single day. Uh, Well, then they're all really stupid. And that was wrong. And that was known to be wrong at the time. And it was obvious. And it wouldn't be so so bad if at some point, you know, there was an acknowledgement, well, we were off base there. But... I suppose the whole point about this hockey pundit class that exists that rails at everyone on panels and stuff like that is it's not just that they just yell their opinions at everybody. It's that they're wrong really often and that there's no force requiring them to acknowledge it. And that's kind of what's so crazy making about Burke for me. You know, like he never has to own what he did to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Or, you know, Mark Spector never has to own saying over and over again to anyone who would listen that Hall for Larson was a good trade. There's no reflection. There's no development. There's no desire to get better. Um, and so if you want to improve the commentary on hockey, I think you should really move away from people who never admit their mistakes. I honestly believe that kind of in my heart. So I guess that's my little capstone on the reign of Peter G.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I think, I think that was very, very well said. Um, and we didn't even touch on the fact that, you know, you could hammer this point home with respect to the Oilers above Tieridy as well, because Bob Nicholson had a press conference and did the usual thing where he blamed, you know, there's oh we know we need more character, we need to fight harder, whatever, all the kind of platitudes that always get said at these sorts of things. And, I mean, it, there's no self-reflection, no, there's no idea of. I've been in this job for however long, we've been god-awful the entire time, do I need to reevaluate things? And maybe he's doing that behind the scenes, but it seems unlikely, and frankly, his boss should be asking him to do that. His boss is Daryl Cates, (laughs) and frankly, his boss should be firing him, and pretty much burn that front office to the ground, and build a new one that has not just a better understanding of hockey, but... A group that is willing to self-evaluate, right? It's like it's weird because you know they're talking about, oh, you know, we have to kind of go through the our front office and audit it and see, see, reevaluate and look at that. But like, you're asking people to judge themselves, I guess, which is, I guess, always Mm going to be tough. I I don't know why they haven't just burned that to the ground and just started over. Uh, It's not getting. I mean, at this point.
1: Yeah, like, what are you going to do? Botch several years of the best player in the world's career? Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, you did. Uh, And, you you know, there was some experience of this on our site. And a lot of it was happening, you know, when we were, you know, just like blog guppies or whatever what it was. But the Leafs were being run into the ground over and over by loud voiced men who were going to yell at you over and over that they knew what they were doing. And you nerds with your calculators and your spreadsheets can go to hell. And again, it's not so much that there's anything wrong with being a hockey man, but it's the belligerence in terms of defending really bad decisions and just asserting over and over again. I mean, again, the whole thing with Hall for Larson—that was incontrovertibly a bad trade. The instant it happened, there is no way around that, any way you slice it. I am sure, and the way that that trade was defended and rationalized and made, you know, as some sort of battleground for here's where we're going to make our stand. And it seemed clear that a lot of writers were counting on Connor McDavid is going to save this team. And that'll be proof that Hall for Larson made sense. And you know what? I was afraid they were going to get away with it, as I've said. But it's that kind of, just aggressive stupidity that's so infuriating i think that's what drives people so crazy about some of these puns it's i mean lack of modesty aside like i think sometimes that's why people listen to podcasts like us instead of brian burke or whatever just because there's so little self awareness or willingness to progress ever and it's kind of holding the league and everyone back just that Every little step forward has to be contested so violently by people who are just going to assert over and over that they know better than they do. I mean, the progressivism bears a little bit also on the all-star thing that we were talking about at the start of the episode, but it is kind of ubiquitous. So speaking in kind of a moral sense, if there's one thing that I'd love to see out of the game or less of in the game, it's that. It's that kind of persistent up-yours Idiocy, frankly.
0: Yeah, no, I I would agree with that completely. Um, was there anything else we wanted to discuss?
1: No, I think I just vented my spleen pretty hard. So that
0: no, that's good. good. We got a lot of <laughs> we got a lot of bad energy out today. Burke, Quest Trade, the Oilers. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is this has been <laughs> very very helpful for for everyone involved.
1: <laughs> yeah, been, yeah, especially you, Quest Trade. Make better commercials if you're going to make me watch them six times a night. Yeah, now, I, I know.
0: Scotia Bank, you too.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah. The fifth season, look, I get it, man. But come on, this is too much. Yeah.
0: Anyway. All right, Um. so thank you all for listening. You can find all of mine and Fuleman's stuff on PensionSpanPuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RV and ATFuleman. We'll see you next week.